And it might be a wonderful world for you if you listen to our guest, Dr. Raymond Pete. Aloha, Dr. Pete. How are you today? Hello. Very good. Good. We're so thrilled to have you on our show all week long. Karen and I have been telling people in our store that you're going to be our guest, and everybody loves your books. But I was kind of interesting when interested in your background, Dr. Pete. I understand you started working with hormones and progesterone back all the way back in 1968. I'm kind of curious what caused you to get into this field? I had been teaching linguistics and uh, painting alternately, but I had been interested in science from childhood, but uh, I saw uh, medical so-called science uh, going off in very perverse directions through the 1950s, and uh, so I didn't think of uh, going to the university, graduate school in, in biology, because uh, they, my bad experience in high school biology, uh, uh, very, very retarded uh, textbooks and so on, uh, it made me think that uh, there, there wasn't much science in the biological field. Uh, but finally I decided that I needed to use uh, laboratory instruments that were too expensive uh, to get myself, so I enrolled in graduate school and uh, figured that just by not arguing with the teachers I could get through the program and uh, get to use the labs, which I did. Now your insight always amazes me because I'm one of those gullible believers when I'm told that I, for instance, should take estrogen because I'm aging. I believed, in fact, I was writing a dissertation on the positive benefits of estrogen until I met you, and it blew all that stuff right out of the water, and I, I look back at how gullible I was and how easily people are misled into uh, believing what the pharmaceutical industries want them to believe, and so... It, it, advertising is very powerful. A group of uh, 13 estrogen companies uh, got together in 1942 when it was already known that estrogen caused miscarriages, uh, sterility, uh, cancer, seizures, and so on. But they had a product and uh, they wanted to sell it as the female hormone, even though it's also a male hormone. But they got together and with advertising, uh, and pressure, political pressure, they convinced the FDA to approve the use of estrogen to prevent miscarriages, which it caused, actually. And by advertising, uh, they got the public interested in estrogen as an anti-aging hormone. So it, it started really with a, a definite conspiracy of 13 companies in 1942. Well, and, and it's continued to this day, even with uh, well-meaning individuals like Suzanne Somers, who advocates the use of bioidentical hormones, she always throws large amounts of estrogen into the equation, and including the estriol. So would you mind talking about that? Um, yeah. Uh, the, the body has many uh, protective systems for inactivating uh, estrogen, the strong estrogen, estradiol. And so it has enzymes to oxidize in different ways uh, this 
fairly reduced form of estrogen. And by oxidizing it to estriol or estrone, it reduces the estrogen-like activity. It also has several other systems for destroying estrogen efficiently. If your metabolism is working very well, estrogen should be totally eliminated after about 12 hours following ovulation and uh, implantation. It, it should uh, be disposed of thoroughly within a few days of ovulation. I, mean, I was going to say, Dr. Pete, I'm even amazed when we're talking about estrogen that, and I, having worked in the natural foods industry now for 42 years, when I read my trade magazines, I'm still seeing advertisements for estrogen-based products uh, in all the natural food trade magazines. It's still not only in the, uh, the pharmaceutical industry, it's in the natural foods industry, and I like it that you and Karen can straighten people out. But it's not that estrogen is bad, right? It's that it needs to be in a certain ratio. Uh, I've been thinking of uh, how common estrogen is throughout the universe. Uh, anytime an organism is injured, it produces estrogen, which stimulates growth and repair. But an even more common biological material is ATP, the so-called energy molecule. And any time we're injured, or even uh, when a cell is slightly stressed, it oozes, loses some of its ATP, which um, acts a, as a signal to other cells to, uh, to repair the damage. But uh, when a, a lizard is uh, attacked and drops its tail, it's probably a surge of ATP that cuts the tail off. And, and ATP forms uh, to make a blister, dissolving the tissue between the layers of skin uh, so that uh, fluid flows in. Uh, ATP, our most life-supporting basic molecule, has these potentially deadly destructive effects cutting off uh, dissolving tissue so that repair can take place. Estrogen is just supposed to be biologically active as an excitant at an early stage of injury. Uh, like it slightly uh, inflames the uterus to cause uh, the, the um, growth of cells uh, preparing a place for the embryo to implant. But if the estrogen stays present too long, it kills the embryo by overexciting the surrounding cells. Uh, in the 1950s, my thesis advisor, Soderwall, was demonstrating that by giving an estrogen supplement to a pregnant animal, the day that it becomes pregnant, you can prevent implantation by a small amount, such as is used in birth control pills, and that's how they work, by a, a quick abortion, actually, rather than preventing conception, they're preventing implantation. And he found that uh, on the second, third, fourth days, and so on, following implantation, if you gave just slightly larger amounts of estrogen all the way up until uh, delivery, 
uh, staying on the same uh, slope of increasing doses of estrogen, you could kill the embryo or the fetus just by uh, adjusting the dose of uh, estrogen to counteract the increasing progesterone, which is there to maintain the pregnancy. So at any stage, estrogen produces abortion when it is out of balance with progesterone. And so if a woman is pregnant and the progesterone levels don't increase... Um, yeah, when, when a woman is um, either having a sluggish liver, low thyroid, so that her estrogen is chronically too high, or her progesterone is chronically low, uh, she will often bleed every month, several months, into the pregnancy as if she were menstruating on cycle. And during any of those cyclic surges of estrogen, that's when miscarriages are most likely to happen. And then how would this affect the sexual persuasion of the child who, should that pregnancy make it all the way to the end, um, how would that affect the child being bathed in a more highly estrogenic environment? Um, it, um, it damages the, the sexual differentiation, um, but the, the, um, there is some research that uh, stress prenatally causes an intersexual uh, differentiation. And what does that mean exactly? Uh, not definitely either one. And how would that show up um, with uh, sexual organs? Does that mean you would have like hermaphroditism or? Um, well, uh, no, the main thing is that the male uh, has uh, smaller genitals and the distance between the general genitals and the anus uh, is decreased in proportion to the estrogen. And would that affect a more transgender society? Um, yeah, uh, they're seeing the the distance uh, that, that characterizes the estrogen exposure of, of male genitals decreasing in recent decades in in the polluted countries. And so, would you say that oftentimes um, uh, when people say, "Hey, I was born this way," as in uh, men who are gay, women who are lesbian, uh, truly are born this way due to this? Um, oh, sure, that's, I think that's a big part of it. You, you can see it in in uh, crocodiles and alligators and uh, uh, ocean uh, uh, otter, otters and uh, fish, uh, frogs. Everyone is affected by the estrogen pollution. And it's amazing to me that you pointed out some things that no one like myself would ever even consider in their wildest imaginations would have an estrogenic effect, such as x-rays and radiation. So being that, and I'd like your feeling on the Fukushima radiation, whether you think that's gone away and is harmless or are oh, those... Uh, did you read about the uh, mad cow, a dairy cow that turned out to be infected with so-called uh, uh, the, the, the spongiform encephalopathy? I did, and I was curious what your take on that would be. Um, I suspect that it's exposure uh, to uh, the, the Japanese radiation of the animals in California because uh, the breakout of mad cow disease in England was in the area where uh, Chernobyl radiation rained down on the pastures and it, it followed 
in the years immediately following Chernobyl exposure. And who came up with the lies about uh, the sheep awful and uh, that stuff causing? Well, well that was the, the uh, Pentagon was doing that uh, in the 1940s following the atomic bomb in the 1950s with the hydrogen bomb. Uh, when they, the fallout from the hydrogen bomb uh, drifted uh, across the islands, uh, they sent uh, uh, Carlton Geidecek, uh, I think his name was, uh, uh, he, he was a pediatrician, but he was posing as, as a, a virologist but he was sent by the military to an area that had been exposed to hydrogen bomb fallout to study what supposedly was a, a, a traditional uh, brain disease, Kuru, uh, that he claimed uh, had been passed on for generations by cannibalism. But actually, it was never reported before the hydrogen bomb fallout. and. Uh, he was, uh, in a miraculously short time, he identified what he claimed was a new slow virus and got the Nobel Prize for discovering a virus that probably doesn't exist. But uh, the whole thing was, was a, a military cover-up, basically. Uh, he was not a virologist. Uh, didn't know anything about it, didn't do the kind of research that could have identified it, and the same symptoms can be produced by radiation. So is there anything we can do to protect ourselves from this radiation from Fukushima, from x-rays, uh, and because every time I go to the dentist, he insists that I must have an x-ray, which he of course says is like sitting in the sun, and now they have these new panoramics, and it's, they have all this baloney, and it's very difficult to talk them out of doing these x-rays, but you point out that they're estrogenic. So is there anything that we can do to offset any damage from the x-rays? Um, yeah, uh, two or three papers were published. Uh, I, I discussed them in my uh, radiation uh, newsletter January of a year ago. Um, they uh, showed that Estrogen was synergistic with radiation in causing cancer, and that the same way that progesterone blocks cancer produced by estrogen, it also blocks cancer produced by radiation. And so if someone knew that they had a history of a lot of diagnostic x-rays, one of the ways they could possibly prevent some long-term effects is to start using progesterone on a regular basis? Um, yeah, I think on, on, on the long term, uh, that is protective. Uh, they know that when they do the uh, so-called gamma knife uh, brain treatment, that uh, the symptoms of uh, nerve cell degeneration aren't seen for uh, usually more than 18 months, sometimes several years later, uh, the cells stay in an inflamed condition, um, like they've seen uh, blood serum uh, 20 years after the Chernobyl, uh, 50 years after the, the uh, Japanese bomb exposures. They've seen 
a chronically inflamed condition that shows up even in the blood serum decades after exposure. And so I think that's the sort of thing that can be uh, reversed even at a late date uh, so that the, that the chronic inflammatory state doesn't persist. I hope that's true because I was a military kid who had a lot of diagnostic x-rays, which scares me when I think about them. So what do you think about... Uh, vitamin A works with progesterone as another uh, protective thing, but it also happens to sensitize you to the radiation that the... Uh, the radiation breaks down the vitamin A in your tissue, and so if you replace it uh, after the injury, uh, that helps uh, counteract the estrogen-like effects. And what would be a good dose of vitamin A on average for a 50-year-old adult woman? Uh, that's hard to say because uh, being an unsaturated, oily material, it can interfere with thyroid function, so the amount you need corresponds exactly to the level of thyroid activity you have. And uh, a low thyroid person can get symptoms of vitamin A poisoning from just a very small amount, like 5,000 units, where um, when I was in my teens and 20s, I found that I needed 50 to 100,000 units to uh, prevent having acne or, or even leukoplakia. Uh, following dental x-rays, I would get these uh, white, spongy growths inside my cheeks that the dentist said were either cancerous or precancerous, and I found that uh, these big doses of vitamin A would clear it up completely in a week. Uh, and uh, that's a, a precancerous estrogen-stimulated condition that also appears on the cervix of the uterus. Ah. And, and vitamin A and progesterone similarly will uh, reverse that. And so were you taking thyroid at the time also? Uh, no, I just happened to be a hyperthyroid person during that, that period. And, and you've mentioned that hyper and hypo are actually kind of the same thing. Um, uh, no, doctors <laughs> confuse hypothyroidism with hyper for various historical reasons. But if you aren't, uh, the, the basic thing that thyroid does is increase your oxidative metabolism. And when uh, the Synthroid product came on the market, uh, only thyroxin rather than the complete uh, combination of T3 and T4, when that came on the market, they wanted to say that thyroxin was the real thyroid hormone, and it happens that it doesn't stimulate oxidative metabolism until it's turned into T3. And so for about 20 years, there was the doctrine that uh, thyroid doesn't stimulate oxidative metabolism as its basic mechanism. But in fact, uh, the thyroxin interferes with the oxy oxygen metabolism if it's uh, out of balance. And uh, it, it's really the increased consumption of oxygen and production of uh, defensive energy uh, systems that, that makes thyroid valuable. And for example, the oxidative 
energy is used to convert cholesterol into uh, pregnenolone and progesterone, DHEA, male hormones, and so on, uh, to counteract estrogen uh, as part of the uh, uh, defense against estrogen. Uh, and so if, you're, if you have excess cholesterol, it's usually because your thyroid is deficient or your vitamin A is deficient and you aren't converting it to the protective uh, progesterone, testosterone hormones. Well, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Source Nutritional Radio Show with our very special guest today, Dr. Ray Pete. And Dr. Pete, I wanted to ask you, um, we have Dr. Lita Lee on our radio show uh, probably about four times a year because she's one of our most interesting guests. And I love the expression that she first coined and uh, what is considered a pro-thyroid uh, diet, and she said if you eat organic. Do you agree with that, or could you elaborate on that? Well, uh, lately, uh, everyone's been calling their stuff organic. Uh, I was getting a kind of organic whipping cream for my coffee, and I saw they were putting curagenin in it. And uh, when they can say that uh, curagenin is uh, an organic food just because you uh, get it out of the ocean, uh, the ocean isn't such a, a great uh, clean food uh, source anymore, and curagenin is, is highly allergenic. Um, people have died by contact with it, and many people uh, have very serious allergic reactions uh, to it when they eat it, and when it breaks down, it becomes carcinogenic, but it's still allowed not only in the food supply, but it can be called organic. And uh, uh, some of the uh, nuclear industry uh, uh, factions were applying uh, to the government uh, to be able to call nuclear waste uh, fertilized food organic. No, well, I, I have to say I do work as an organic farm inspector and I remember when the USDA was coming up with the standards for organic, they were going to allow human sewage sludge to be used as a fertilizer, irradiated food to be labeled organic, and uh, GMO food being labeled organic. And people like Karen and I petitioned the USDA and I was very surprised because the federal government, the USDA, listen to our complaints saying they would take away the integrity of the organic industry uh, if they allow those three things to be labeled organic. So I know it's a complicated world. Uh, it's not always uh, very black and white, but um, we have to work with some kind of a standard. Yeah, curagenin is, is the main problem with uh, uh, some, some of the foods called organic, but naturally it, it's best if you can get really clean organic foods. Well, today you'd probably have to grow it yourself. <laughs> Dr. B, you mentioned um, pregnenolone. That's one of my favorite supplements since you introduced us to it. And I wonder if you could elaborate a little bit on the benefit of pregnenolone and some of the scare tactics that are used are put on the label saying this causes cancer. And um, Yeah, that the stuff just seems to come out of thin air. Uh, the way uh, when some of the drug companies in the 40s wanted to get natural progesterone off the market, they said you can't take it orally because it's destroyed 
by the stomach acid, but that, there was absolutely no uh, source for that. It was just inserted into an article and then uh, multiplied until all the doctors in the country believed it. And uh, California, uh, for reasons that I explained in one of the articles on my website about conflicts of interest, uh, California decided uh, to call uh, progesterone uh, a cause of cancer, even though it, the, the articles they cited to support that position, uh, uh, some of them were very strong arguments showing that it prevents cancer. Uh, and uh, uh, the, their uh, scientific support was really crazy, but uh, the fact that California got progesterone on their list of, of cancer agents, uh, that seems to have simply spread over to pregnenolone without any <laughs> argument at all. And so uh, why do these companies acquiesce and put the, that uh, warning on their label? Um, because California gave uh, lawyers uh, a law that lets them collect money pursuing anyone that uh, they want to. If there have been articles published uh, calling it the shakedown state um, because <laughs> lawyers were uh, accusing uh, people for having a, a asphalt in their parking lot because asphalt is carcinogenic and so on. Oh my goodness. So what, are your, uh, what is your take on pregnenolone? What benefit will that have for um, people with dementia, for instance? Um, if the pregnenolone is well made and pure and uh, in recent years the Everything on the market does seem to be, be, be pure if the retailer isn't adding a lot of crazy excipients. Uh, but pure uh, pregnenolone uh, has, uh, since the 1940s with uh, experiments in rats, it's been known to have essentially no side effects at any dose. Uh, they gave rats a 10 gram single dose by stomach tube which would be like a person eating a pound of it. And the only effect uh, was that the rats weren't hungry <laughs> until their stomachs had emptied the stuff out. And if, if any of the rats were uh, under stress at the time of the experiment, their stress hormones went down to normal. That was the only side effect that so it, it stopped uh, abnormal stress reactions. So we could presume that that would happen for people too, that it would bring stress hormones down? It is it what? Would it bring stress hormones down in people oh, too? Oh, yeah. I, I Just after I read the rat experiment and uh, saw that it, it had uh, made people more efficient uh, in studies of uh, workers using it, I decided to take 3,000 milligrams to 4,000 milligrams every day for a year and uh, uh, felt uh, like I, I had uh, great resistance, felt no stress no matter what was happening. And were there any negative side effects at all? Not at all. And do you take that much to this day? No, it was too expensive. I haven't taken any uh, for years now, but I stopped because uh, for a while uh, a lot of junk was on the market, and uh, 
when I tried to import the pure stuff, uh, the FDA uh, kept getting in the way. Wow. Well, Dr. Pete, I, I know you lecture around the United States and in Mexico to many different universities, including the Natural College of Naturopathic Medicine, and I am a little curious, what kind of reaction do you get? Because you say a lot of things, and I have to say I agree with what you say, but you do say a lot of things that nobody else is saying. Oh, uh, I pretty much stopped lecturing about 20 years ago when the word got out what I was saying about unsaturated fat. Uh, the doctors stopped wanting to hear me uh, when they knew what I would say about estrogen. And then the health food industry uh, stopped wanting to hear me uh, when they knew what I would say about uh, corn oil and soy oil and uh, the polyunsaturated oils, fish oil, and so on, because those are so important to their business that uh, they didn't want bad information put out about them. And so what is it that you say about that that would be problematic for them? Um, I, I see the polyunsaturated uh, N-3 and N-6 oils as being behind uh, all the inflammatory degenerative diseases and basically all of the degenerative diseases involve an inflammatory uh, component which is amplified by the N-3 and N-6 uh, breakdown products. And you think the cumulative value of those oils in the human body as they get packed away in the tissue have a metabolic suppressive action? Um, yeah. Uh, the prostaglandins and uh, various isoprostanes and uh, free radical breakdown products and so on. And uh, those uh, fats happen to inhibit the enzymes which make our natural N-9 polyunsaturated fats, such as the mead acid. Uh, and uh, uh, it's called a, an essential fatty acid deficiency when you can find the mead acid at minus nine uh, in the, the blood, but it happens that that's a protective anti-inflammatory uh, uh, fat that uh, gives great resistance to the animals that are so-called deficient in the essential fatty acids. And so in other words, it would be beneficial to us to avoid those polyunsaturated oils such as corn, uh, canola, safflower, sunflower, almond, all those oils we should avoid? Yeah, I try to avoid that, those as far as possible, even uh, avoiding pork and chicken that have been fed those foods. Oh, it gets very complex. Well, I know in your free time, Dr. Pete, you're a terrific artist. You paint a lot, don't you? Uh, yeah, I try to alternate studying and writing with painting or sculpting. That's wonderful. Can I um, ask you again about uh, the Fukushima radiation? Because I vacillate. People come in and tell me, oh, you've got to be positive and stop dwelling on the negative. And then by the same token, because we're in Hawaii um, and kind of in the pathway of where that stuff is coming and has come, um, we're... How do you 
not think about it in terms of how people's health. We noticed within a week of the Fukushima radiation that our air purifier started making a pinging noise, rather like uh, um, an electrical fly trap. And we couldn't figure out what, what is this noise that this thing is making? Is it defective? And then I think about after, what, about a week and a half, it stopped doing that. But could that have been from hot particles of radiation shortly after the fallout? Um, I don't know how the purifier works, but uh, the particles do produce ionization that uh, uh, could, could uh, affect electronic devices. Uh, the uh, nuclear industry, like the estrogen industry and the oil industry, uh, uh, has been very busy with propaganda uh, ever since the uh, 1940s, uh, convincing the public that uh, nuclear power uh, it will be good for the public in, in many ways. Uh, they've been uh, selling uh, radioactive potions since the 1920s. Uh, people are still selling uh, radioactive rocks uh, as, as cures. Uh, they used to sell it in bottles uh, to cure uh, impotence and arthritis and so on. Uh, and you can get uh, some quick relief from x-raying your knee, for example, for arthritis. It kills the uh, cells that produce inflammation, but uh, it creates a long-term systemic inflammation that uh, is much worse for, for the short-term relief. Uh, and that's the sort of thing that happens with uh, uh, the uh, breakdown of fish oils. You get short-term suppression of inflammation, but long-term promotion of inflammation. Wow. And the, the, the propaganda covers the spectrum of uh, every, uh, every kind of radiation. Uh, they say that uh, the uh, fallout in your food is equivalent to uh, flying across the country on an airplane, for example. Uh, that there are several kinds of lies built into that. Every person who repeats that is repeating layered lying propaganda. Uh, for example, the, uh, it's true that you can uh, say there's a certain amount of radiation from cosmic rays coming through the, uh, the airplane when you're at 35,000 feet, but it happens that the biological effect of radiation, cosmic rays, at, uh, say, 10,000 feet altitude on the mountain or in an airplane, uh, that has less biological effect by a great amount uh, per unit of radiation than the same cosmic rays do at sea level. And the, uh, the cosmic rays at high altitude pass right through you doing very little, but on the way through the atmosphere, they run into air atoms, causing secondary and tertiary breakdown nuclear fission. And it's those fission products uh, produced on the way down close to sea level that increase the environmental radiation. And that's why uh, a big part of the reason why cancer 
rates are much lower. Heart disease is much lower when you live at from five to 10,000 feet elevation above sea level. Uh, closer to sea level, the cosmic rays are more intense. So the, the nuclear industry is turning things upside down to say that uh, eating a banana or a Fukushima uh, oyster or whatever uh, can be compared to cosmic rays. They've got it exactly backwards. But, but it, we live on an island and we like to go out in the sun and be exposed to those rays, so or, or should we be afraid that our cancer levels are going to increase because we're at sea level? Well, the um, ultraviolet produces effects in your skin that are very similar to what X-rays and cosmic rays and gamma rays produce uh, throughout your tissues. Uh, it's just that the, uh, the toxic effect of ultraviolet is limited to two or three millimeters near the top of your skin. And it happens that the red light of sunlight, uh, the yellow, uh, green, orange, red frequencies happen to be uh, neutralizers of the damage done by radiation of the toxic kind. Oh. And uh, for example, experiments with frogs would give them a certain dose of gamma rays that would kill them uh, very quickly. But if they gave the dose uh, and within the hour gave them some very bright red light following the gamma ray exposure, they recovered, they weren't sick. So would that be a good thing for us to do, is get one of those red lights and lay under it a little bit for protection from Fukushima? Well, natural sunlight contains enough of that. Uh, if you filter out that protective red and orange light, sunlight will even kill plants that normally grow all day in the sun. Uh, the blue light and ultraviolet is toxic, even the plants, but it's the red light that, that allows plants to uh, stand the, the ultraviolet all day. So would that be the far infrared light bulbs that we can buy? Uh, no, just the red. Uh, red, orange, and yellow are all protective. And the, the you don't want uh, too much of the ultraviolet because your uh, blood does circulate up through the surface of your skin and your white blood cells will get killed every time you get sunburned. So you don't want to get sunburned and having a tan uh, that the melanin pigment catches uh, the biggest part of the uh, ultraviolet and protects your skin from uh, that immune suppressing uh, effect of UV. So what's wrong with people who don't tan and they just burn? Uh, sometimes a vitamin D deficiency is involved. Your body uh, knows that it needs more vitamin D and so it, it uh, doesn't make the pigment allowing uh, more ultraviolet to be absorbed and I've seen people who couldn't tan suddenly uh, tanning normally when they took some vitamin D. Interesting. Well Dr. Pete, we only have about one minute left here and I know Karen and I would love to bring you on for next week's show also if you have the time for it. Okay. Oh, terrific. Lovely. And people can go to your website, which is terrific. I love it. It's Ray Pete, R-A-Y-P-E-A-T 
Pete.com. And I, I love your artwork, Dr. Pete. I well, think, thanks. yeah, I think that's, I think all of us that work in this, uh, industry of trying to, uh, generate health, sometimes you need to back away. We all have to have some kind of a hobby or a release or something else to focus our time and attention on. I love your, your blue book from PMS to menopause and your nutrition for women. And your yellow book, I, I We're going to talk all. about that all next week because I, I have a bunch more questions for you, Dr. Pete. But okay. I want to thank you for being our guest today, uh, sharing your Saturday morning with us, and we'll have you on again with us next week. Okay, very good. Lovely. Aloha. Aloha.